0: Welcome to The Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Hello and welcome to today's Faith Lead Book Hub, Beyond Job's Friends, Accompanying Those in Trauma Pits. My name is Leanne Pomrenke and as part of the team at Faith Lead, I'll be your MC. Today's session will be led by author Jennifer Oman Rodriguez, whose book is A Time to Mourn and A Time to Dance, A Love Story of Grief, Trauma, Healing and Faith, published by Chalice Press. Jennifer Omen Rodriguez is highly qualified to lead this session today. She has decades of experience in early care and education, writes curriculum, curates the trauma recovery section for Compassionate Christianity online and is a pastor awaiting call in the ELCA. A Time to Mourn and a Time to Dance is her first book, but her writing and curation of resources is extensive. Jennifer, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you,
1: Leanne and the whole crew here at Book Hub. Um, We're going to start first of all, with some notes about today's session. Um, First of all, we're gonna be talking about trauma and this is a big and emotional, um, emotional area. So here's what I always do. I always say, I'm not gonna tell my story, you're not gonna tell your story, and we're not gonna hear anybody's story because what the experts are telling us is that in telling or retelling our stories, we can re-traumatize ourselves. And this isn't the arena in which we can clinically heal. This is a workshop. And also those who are listening to our stories can experience something called secondary trauma. So we don't wanna cause any pain today. So there will be no storytelling here, just a lot of information and a lot of practices. However, because this is, we're talking about trauma, if you do begin to feel that you are becoming a little bit numb or dull, disassociating or getting agitated, pay attention, please. I invite you to pay attention and to take care of yourself. So sometimes if I'm watching something about trauma and I feel myself getting a little dull, because that's what I do, I might just get up and get a glass of water. That's taking care of myself. So please, I invite you to please take care of yourselves. So I wanna make another thing clear as we're talking about this. I am not a clinician. I am not a mental health clinician. I am an author. I'm a child development specialist. I am a soon to be pastor. but I'm also a trauma survivor. And my late husband was a mental health clinician who specialized in trauma. So trauma recovery has been a part of most of my adulthood in some way, shape or form. Okay, so because of all these things that I am in life, uh, my my work, my writing work in particular is the intersection of traumatic experience traumatic recovery and faith. And in this intersection, these are the things my belie- these are my beliefs. This is what I base my work on. And the first and the foremost and the most important one is we can heal from trauma. And anyone we come across can heal from trauma. This is possible. Now, when we're healing or more healed, we can still get triggered. We can still get flooded by emotions or hijacked by emotions. These things can happen, but they happen on a different level, not as, an, as intense of a level. So this also can happen. But therefore, I always say, healing is ongoing for all of us. Healing is ongoing for all of us because we all have unhealed pain, each and every one of us. Now, What I also want to say is that when we are accompanying people in trauma, in the aftermath of trauma, in trauma recovery, then we first and foremost begin with our own unhealed pain. That is the first role we have when accompanying people in trauma recovery. Okay, so let's begin. And we always begin with breathing. We begin with centering our nervous systems. So I'm gonna invite you now to maybe close your eyes, get comfortable wherever you're sitting, uh, even if you're in your car, um, pull over if you're driving, please. But um, get comfortable and begin taking deep breaths in and breathing out and breathing in deeply down into your hips and breathing out as your body kind of collapses in. Now I'm going to invite you to take your right hand and put it under your left arm, right in your armpit. And take your left arm and hand and put it over your heart. And now breathe in, we're going to breathe in for four counts and we're gonna exhale for eight. No stop on the inhale, all right? Just a continuous circle of breathing. So here we go. Inhale in, one, two, three, four, and exhale out, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, and in, two, Three, four, and out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. Now just take a relaxing breath in and out. Now we're going to try the same practice, only we're going to take that left hand and we're going to put it right on our frontal lobe, right on our forehead. We're going to do the same type of breathing. Four in, eight out. Here we go. One, two, three, four, and out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And once again, breathe in and out. Now, this practice I learned from the traumatologist Peter A. Levine. And if you read any of Peter A. Levine's work, you will see that he acknowledges he learned these practices of birth work from Eastern practices. They are not his original practices. Now, to those friends of Job's, right? Those three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. They're all knowing, right? Sit in silence with Job for a bit, but not too long. And we're not, I'm always not sure how silent they were. I think maybe they're grunting and sighing, um, but we don't see that in the scripture text. But I always come away with this thought that they can't really bear Job's despair. And then I think, well, why can't they bear Job's despair? And then I think, oh, they have their own pain to heal. So everything they say, all these extended monologues they have are about their pain. And because they're about their pain, they cause Job more pain. And we don't wanna do that. We don't wanna be in the pits of despair with others the way Job's friends were. So I then question and I wonder if Job's friends had worked on their own stuff and their own pain, what would their actions have been toward Job or with Job? And if they had learned about pain and traumatic experience and traumatic recovery, how would that shape the narrative in the book of Job? So we're gonna begin where I would have liked Job's friends to have begun, and that's defining trauma trauma. It's a big word right now. It's in the news all the time. We use it for everything and anything. So it has become overused and misused. But it really does mean something. For me, it is a big category. It is the big category. And under that, there are three main areas in my mind. And the first always begins with the traumatic experience or experiences themselves so the traumatic experiences this is anything that the body registers as unsafe and or life threatening unsafe or life threatening so this can be a one time event it can be a series of events that happened in the past it can be some events that are ongoing but whatever the events were our bodies respond without our permission without our knowledge many times. They respond in both individual and humanly predictable ways. So we have a response. Everybody has a response to feeling unsafe or feeling that their life is threatened in some way, shape, or form. So once again, Trauma, a traumatic experience can be a one time occurrence and it can also be a buildup of small experiences over time. Small experiences that over time begin to feel like one big, huge macro event. That's how our body is registering it over time. So because of what I've just said, trauma experts, have ways of talking about their own definitions of trauma, because anyone who can de- um, diagnose trauma, uh, a mental health professional who's clinically able to diagnose, they have to go through something called the diagnostic manual. They have to use that. And there's always a number associated with di- not the diagnosis, just like any medical diagnosis. But Trauma experts tend to nuance what the Diagnostic Manual says. And so here is a definition that Resmaa Menikin uses. He wrote My Grandmother's Hands. It's a very well-known book now, very excellent book to read about, especially about racialized trauma. But he says trauma is anything the body perceives as too much, too fast, or too soon. So too much, too fast, too soon. It's that deer in headlights moment. But when I read his definition, I immediately think that of myself, deer in headlights. Here's another definition. And this is um, what Pat Ogden says. And Pat Ogden it really was, is a pioneer, really, in um, the body, the body's response in trauma. And she says, trauma is defined by the effect of an event rather than the event itself. So the effect of the event rather than the event itself. And this harkens back to what I said about we have individual responses to trauma. So sometimes what I experience is an unsafe traumatic experience, someone else may not. We have an individual response. Okay, so in defining trauma, let's also be clear what it is not. Need to know what it is not. It is not a bad day. It is not typical stress that we might feel when the, you know, maybe the traffic was bad going into work. Typical stress? No. It is not anything like that. It's what our bodies are perceiving as unsafe and/or life-threatening. And um, and once again, this happens in our bodies. In our bodies first and then our minds and we do not control our responses nobody controls their responses to feeling life that their life is threatened so that's traumatic experience after a traumatic experience or experiences there's something called the aftermath traumatic aftermath traumatic afterlife there are different terms from it so Here's what Peter A. Levine says about that. Trauma is primarily physiological, so in the body. Trauma is something that happens initially to our bodies and our instincts, and only then do its effects spread to our minds, our emotions, and our spirits. Okay, so body first, and then there's a spreading. For me, it, it, it feels like a cancerous spreading. There's a spreading. Okay, aftermath then refers to the leftovers after traumatic experience or experiences. And those leftovers include chemicals in our bodies. Uh, The most famous chemicals are of course, cortisol and adrenaline. Okay, those, we, our body uses those chemicals. It releases those chemicals first to save our lives. So we needed those chemicals. We need those chemicals. However, if they get stuck, then they wreak havoc. They wreak havoc in our bodies. So and I, I like to, or I think about it as the, the afterlife as a haunting. We're haunting, haunted by what's left over. So we might still feel like we're in fight, flight, or freeze. Okay. These chemicals can be passed on to our children as a tag on our DNA. This is called epigenetics, the study of epigenetics. They also can pass through our wombs to our unborn children and be passed on that way. So this is how intergenerational trauma occurs. Now, the last area under trauma for me is trauma recovery. And this refers to the the methods we use to heal the afterlife of traumatic experiences, the the ones that stay with us. So it's a term that encompasses a lot of different clinical modalities, modalities such as EMDR, brain spotting, safe and sound protocol listening, um, and, and there's a number of other clinical protocols. It also includes the non-clinical protocols, things like trauma-informed yoga, Tai Chi, um, let's see, and body work in general. So it can include both. And many people in trauma recovery will use both clinical recovery methods if they can, if they have access and affordability to them and also um, these body things like trauma-informed yoga.